0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 76 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. You call us through your word, read and proclaimed, Holy God. May our eyes be opened. And our hearts be willing to follow wherever your spirit leads. Amen. Luke 17 verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaria. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was, not, was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As we are focusing on giving thanks this month, I lift up one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite stewardship verses also. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, in all circumstances, give thanks. In all circumstances, why and how? How could we possibly do that? Today, we'll look at what it means practically and scripturally. In all circumstances, give thanks. The three whys we'll look at is that it's good for our souls. The Holy Spirit helps us see God at work anew and we grow spiritually. So, good for our souls, how can I say that? What if we're just born thankful, born optimistic? Is it something we can learn? How many of you here are optimists? Raise your hand. We've got a few, there's a few in every crowd. I won't ask the next question. But on a larger scale, some of you may generally see life as the glass is half full or maybe three-quarters full. That's how my grandma was. The best is right around the corner, and with God's help, we can get there. I'm one, I admit, and that's a good match for a transitional minister because I'll keep encouraging you. Now, it's funny because God has seen fit to give me three siblings, but my younger brother, who's closest in age to me, is more cautious, more realistic, as he says, than I am. My nickname for him is Safety Sam. He's a warrior. He's a guardian. Whenever we go someplace fun, like a family vacation, I'm talking about all the possibilities, and he's looking for the dangers that lurk. So if we, for example, went tubing on the water, you might want me to drive the boat for thrills, but you'd want him to check the rope to make sure that it's safe. Now you might think that we drive each other crazy, and we did for many years. But now we also love each other like crazy, and we can make one another laugh. We laugh with one another, hopefully not at one another. But his favorite stuffed animal from childhood was Eeyore. What were my parents thinking? You know who Eeyore is? He's Winnie the Pooh's gray, forlorn friend. He sees the worst in everything. Winnie the Pooh asks, lovely day, isn't it? And Eeyore responds, if it's a good morning, which I doubt. He's always got a comment and perhaps a rain cloud following him. So I personally think, helpful hint to parents of young babies, don't give your child an Eeyore as their crib companion if you want them to have a rosy outlook on life. Or maybe don't give them me as a big sister. But I'd rather blame Eeyore. It's all Eeyore's fault. Because I see the highs and he sometimes see the lows. But it's a really fun combination. But life is better with Uncle Troy around and safer. Do you know people like that? Or maybe you are one. God does ask us to give thanks for all siblings, all things, all circumstances, through thick and thin, through the highs and lows. It's a very churchy thing to say on a fall Sunday, isn't it? Give thanks. The writer really expects us to rejoice always, always, to rejoice in all things. Why? If we think about rejoicing in the Bible, sometimes it seems to us that to do as is requested, to act so positively joyful and grateful might be unrealistic. Like some of us say, are you not paying attention to the world? Or we might think it's kind of fake. Now sometimes, in so certain times of life, we just don't have the gumption, the energy, to be anything other than an Eeyore. We see nothing but the clouds that are blocking the sun at this point. Perhaps we feel we're already immersed in darkness. We're feeling our way along without any light. Or. If we're not in that circumstance right now, maybe we've been there before and the dark has left its mark on us. And then when life goes well and we're on an upswing, we realize that somehow we're still worried, afraid it might not last. Pastor Ann Robertson writes, The opposite of joy is not sadness, but it's fear. Fear of what is to come. I think she's right. We can get hung up in fear. We can become paralyzed, afraid to act, or to feel hope and rejoice. Some of you may know of researcher Brene Brown. She writes in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, we say to ourselves, I'm not going to allow myself to feel this joy because I know it won't last. Most of us have been experienced being on the edge of joy only to be overcome with the vulnerability and thrown into fear. Intense feelings of love will often bring up fear of loss. So Brene Brown studies vulnerability amongst other things. She says, if I had to sum up what I've learned about fear and joy, this is what I'd say. The dark does not destroy the light, it defines it. It's our fear of the dark that casts our joys into shadows. We're afraid to lose what we love the most, aren't we? And we hate it that there are no guarantees. We think that not being grateful or not feeling joy will make it hurt less, but we're wrong. There's one guarantee, if we're not practicing gratitude and allowing ourselves to feel joy, to know joy, we're missing out on two things that will actually sustain us when we do hit the inevitable hard times. I've become fascinated by the power of gratitude. And one of these researchers is Dr. Daniel Amen. He reports that saying thank you acts as an antidepressant. Have you heard about this? It's probably all over the news right now in this season. Those who make a list or who named their gratitude for just three things every day experience an increase in happiness. Gratitude gives us a new way of looking at life, of peering past the highs and lows to see God by the power of Jesus at work. And on our own, we can't just squint harder or try to see better to see, to manufacture positive new feelings of gratefulness, it does involve some practice, some active participation. And so many folks have suggested to try it for a season, to try it for a few days. Have a gratitude jar on your counter or a gratitude journal. How do we do it? Well, it's interesting. We talked about this at the service in memory of all souls this Wednesday that more than any other command in the Bible, Scripture asks us to remember. It's one of the most frequent commands. And today, in this table, in this meal, this feast that we'll join in together, we remember how God acted for us in Jesus Christ. And we can remember how God has acted in our lives before and begin to live in gratitude and in eager anticipation, expectation that God can and God will do it again. We can begin to look at the world in new ways and act in new ways, not only to give thanks, but to give. To give to others, to give back to God. But how? How do we do that if we don't feel like it or shall I say when we don't feel like it the Bible is clear that grateful eyes come from God they come by the power of the spirit it's something we can ask for God helps us see God at work in the world anew when we just ask what we focus on and how we choose to spend our time in life can help us see God and God's power at work in the world or depending on what we focus on, it can make God seem more distant and more fuzzy. We make our spiritual eyesight better or worse when it comes to seeing God and becoming grateful in response to all God does for us. You can probably fill in the blank with the things in your life that might make you feel less grateful Make God feel more distant. We don't always realize it at the time, but of course, studies show that social media is one of those things. How do we deal with it? It shows we feel worse when we turn off the page, turn off our computers or our tablets or our phones after we spend time scrolling. It doesn't do what we hope it would do. So there was a 67-year-old woman. She was scheduled for routine cataract surgery. She thought she was just dealing with dry eye and old age that was causing her discomfort. But fortunately for the woman, doctors discovered that the woman's eye had become home to a hard bluish mass of nearly 30 contact lenses. They were glued together in her eye over time. The lump the medical team discovered was composed of 17 contact lenses, and then they found 10 more way up in her eyelid. You see, she had worn monthly disposable lenses for 35 years, and she kept thinking, oh, it happened again. My contact fell out at the end of the month. And so she'd put another one in. And this lump had been in her eye for years, but it was so close, so hidden, right in front of her eyes, that she never saw it for what it actually was. What was supposed to help her see was actually obscuring her view of the world. She never took decisive action to get help or to clear her vision because it was right there in the middle of her eyes. So what is obscuring our eyesight today? Sometimes we're the problem, like our story, the nine lepers, In our gospel lesson, we have this example of one man who did see God at work, did give God the glory, give God praise. And we also learn about nine others who didn't. What made that one man different? And where did the other nine go wrong? I have thought about this story a lot because Jesus healed all 10 men who had leprosy. He gave them all the same command. Go to show yourself to the priest, which is how they then could be declared whole, healed, welcome into the community. You may know that when you had the skin disease of leprosy, you were an outcast. You had to ring a bell, you couldn't be anywhere near anyone else. Luke adds as they went, they were made clean. So they took this step of obedience, they took a risk to run to the priest. But this story is about seeing. The ten men were healed, but only one man sees what has happened, and seeing makes all the difference. Not only does the tenth leper stop in his tracks and change direction, he moves toward Jesus rather than toward the temple priests, and he has the opportunity to worship God with thanksgiving. To hear a blessing that Jesus gives him. Go, your faith has restored you, made you whole, and saved you. This is because he recognizes, perceives, sees. Sees what has happened. That he's not only been healed of leprosy, but also he's been given new sight. So I wonder, are we looking to Jesus? How are we looking to Jesus? When? Do we have it as part of our daily practices? Do we look for where God is at work in our lives? Are we ready to give thanks and give glory to God? I think that's where the other 10 went wrong, by the way. They got all excited, picturing themselves as whole and healed. They pictured themselves being welcomed back by their town, by their friends, by their family with a party. They're thrilled to feel healthy again, which is natural no longer outcasts from the community, but their visioning ran away with them, down the wide path, the naturally attractive path, the path that centers all around me. What's going to happen for me? Hey, look at me. I'm healed. And another man started down this same path, with the same joy and anticipation of his new life ahead. But Luke tells us he literally stopped in his tracks. In verse 15 and 16, he says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Despite his joy and his anticipation, this man focused on seeing what God was doing in his life in this moment where Jesus was at work. And so he turned back onto a different path, the path that centers on God. He lay himself down at Jesus' feet, ready to worship and thank and praise God, ready to give God his full attention. And Jesus was so excited when the leper praised and worshiped. Jesus made the man well, whole, restored, saying your faith has made you well, gave him a much greater gift and while our gratitude isn't guaranteed to heal us it does help us encounter our giving God I was listening to a song on Caleb this morning by I think it's Benjamin William Hastings or I might have those mixed up in the order but it's called um, that's the thing about praise and the chorus is sometimes the only way through it is a hallelujah it might not make our problems better but it helps us get through. Sometimes the only way through it is a hallelujah. We can give God glory when we open our eyes, which is our third point. We grow spiritually by giving thanks and by giving, not just giving to God. When you take these two biblical details together, they reveal to us a possibility that Jesus is teaching his followers who are with them both then and now, that faith is not just a matter of believing only, but seeing past our own circumstances to say thanks with our lives. Some of you may remember that last month when we looked at the Ten Commandments, we said, because of God's grace in our lives, we can live our lives as thank you notes back to God. That's our theme for this month too. All the lepers were healed. One saw and noticed a difference, let it sink in, and it made all the difference for him. Because he sees what has happened, he recognized Jesus, his reign on earth, his power. And because he sees what has happened, the leper has something for which to be thankful, praising God with a loud voice. Because he sees what has happened, the leper changes direction. Literally stops, turns around, veers from his course to return to Jesus. He grew and was healed, both together. That's why this story is an invitation to believers then and now to recognize that what we see makes a difference, what we notice. In the face of adversity, do we see danger or opportunity? In the face of human need, do we see demand or gift? In the face of a stranger, do we see a potential enemy or a friend? And do we see Jesus calling us, inviting us to join in, to walk a different path? Perhaps this is the key to stewardship this month, too. It's not first about giving, but it's about seeing all that we've been given. Rejoicing in a way that can't help but shape how we act and then how we give to others, how we give. Perhaps this is even the key to the Christian life. Before we're called to believe or confess or help, we're called to see. First and foremost, and to help others do the same. Through the power of gratitude, we're called to point out blessing, to claim mercy, to name grace wherever we are and with whatever courage it takes, and then to give back in thanks to God. So what do we see today? Through the eyes that God has given us, through the healing and wholeness God has given us. I encourage you to share it with one another over lunch, or with your family, or in small groups? For what can we give thanks? How will we give back to God who has so graciously given us so much? What will be our grateful response today? Amen.